It's Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal in the Bernabeu! Looks like Shaman! Giroud plays it in the middle! Ahead again! And Ramsey arriving! And Arsenal are back in front! Scores in the FA Cup final again! Just as he did. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Editor Podcast. You've got Toby here as per usual, but... Slightly weird podcast this time. Um, Steve from In The Clockhead podcast and other such Arsenal material has let me down, quite frankly. Um, so we were going to do a recording last night. We couldn't work it out together. We were going to do a recording tonight. My football went on too long. It's now a bit too late for him to record. So we're stuck after what are two very, very poor performances and a very strange interlull between the two games. And, um, you know, because it was on a Thursday and then we had a Monday, we weren't, don't typically record until a Monday anyway. So we haven't really had an opportunity to, to go into that for both games on a podcast. But, um, but here I am flying solo, uh, which is a very weird thing to do. So I don't want to bore you with just my voice, as I can imagine. That's something that could get very annoying very quickly. So what I've done is I've written down probably about well, I don't want to count, but a number of points, things that I've written in my notes that have happened over the past um, couple of days with the trip to Old Trafford, the trip to Goodison Park and how we can sort of contextualise that, what that really means for us. Um, and so here we are. So I thought I'm going to give you about 20 minutes, perhaps 15 minutes of, of, of my thoughts. And you've kindly sent in uh, a, a bag of questions, uh, quite literally hundreds. So I do appreciate that. And maybe you can be... The other side, for once, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just listen to your, your questions and we'll, and we'll see how we get there. The good thing about speaking um, just by myself and only having you guys listen is, quite frankly, no one can disagree with me. So, Steve, if you're listening, as I'm sure you will be, there's nothing you can do if you disagree with my opinions, um, which I am sure you do. So, I think one of the places to start, um, I was going to start about the sort of contextual way in which Everton framed this. I think Everton was such a big, important game because one of the things you could say about Old Trafford, however disappointing it was, and it was there for the taking, and they had injuries, and a very disappointing team in between the managers, and we didn't really go for it. We sat back. Players got a bit scared. Whatever you think about it, Everton was the game to win to frame it. If we'd have won that, we could compartmentalise it and say, OK, it was Old Trafford. We've won away to Everton, um, who are a very underconfident team, who I still think have a lot of good players in that team. Um, you know, the Everton game was really there to win. The fans were on the team's back. Um, they hadn't been playing well, and we sat back and we invited the pressure on, even at 0-0, I mean, particularly from 0-0. So it was tough to take. Um, but having lost it, I think we can look back at stylistically at both these games and be very, very, very upset, disappointed and concerned, you know, looking forward. It was confusing, the substitutions, the performances, the flatness, the the timidness, I think, the decisions Arteta was making, um, the substitutions were awful. Um, but I think a really good place to start was just to get it out of the way is the red card incident. And the reason why I bring it up now is because I don't think it really matters moving forward. I don't think we wouldn't like we probably would have got more points out of an individual game but the worry i've got is um how we played against 11 men it come i like we should have lost by four quite frankly um you know in, in the everton game and yeah I, I if you want my opinion I, I think it was a straight record i think he meant it and even if he didn't he's not in control of his studs so and it's hitting someone in the face um but the reason why i want to say that now also it's not mike dean's fault 
even it because you know it's very easy to miss that it happened very quickly and was kind of all on the floor that's var's fault um i personally think he could have had another red card i haven't seen the replay again but i got the feeling godfrey also went in somewhere else i think he stamped on someone but you know we should be making a bigger deal of it saka um got kicked off the park which is what every team is doing and i don't begrudge everton for it i think you should expect that when you're going against a team that's just lost a derby and is scrapping a little bit for some form and needs their home team behind him you've got to expect it nobody's kicking up a fuss nobody's asking the question nobody's fighting for their teammate everybody seems a bit deflated a bit flat and a bit scared of the crowd so the reason why i want to bring that up is just because i do think that it doesn't really have any it, it does have a bearing on this particular game but what is more interesting and far more reasonable to talk about is the performance and how inexcusable that was and it's more controllable in that sense so so that's what I wanted to get out of the way. And of course, that's just as a caveat to the sense that I know that it should have been a red. I know they should have been under 10 men and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it, in, in, in the frame of what we need to talk about, it doesn't quite matter. So, so it's two losses. It's two losses after a really good batch of games. Um, two wins. Uh, sorry, two losses. Uh, Old Trafford and Goodison Park. So, so why... Why did these feel particularly different? Because in reality, it's three losses in 14 games. If you pick apart that stat, pretty good going. Um, we've been really excited, perhaps up until a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, so it's it's really not insanely bad. Obviously, it's just three losses in the last four. What feels different is the lack of excuses for these ones um, and the margin in which we can then frame the bigger losses that we've had so brentford away at the beginning of the game should have been called off we had covid outbreak we had to play kids fine it can happen it was raining we've got you know young kids playing away you know and it's their first ever game in the premier league sure that can happen chelsea man city best team in europe most expensive team in the world ever put together man city chelsea fine we lose those games unfortunately heavily arteta seems to be making a bit of a bit of a point to the board i need players we then go and sign those players we then go on this fabulous run admittedly we had some dips within it which now we can maybe look back and be a little bit like well we got lucky against palace um by scoring in the last minute um and brighton we got kicked out of the park and i'm quite surprised we came away with the point but we could frame that when it was going um very well into well you know we played badly and we managed to get a point out of it now it's looking a bit bleak we're looking back and going well who are we where are we what are the how are we looking at our team right now and, it, and i think in reality We've now hit these no excuses games, i.e. Everton away, um, and we've come out badly, very, very, very badly. Um, and and I don't even just mean the result. I mean stylistically, I think we were horrific, um, and some really questionable decisions, which I'm sure we'll get onto. So it really has like a feeling of November, December, 2020, 2020, 2019, the bad run. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and we do look a bit void of ideas. And I do think that there are a few reasons why it's starting to look like that. And look, Xhaka came back, you know, and there were a few questionable decisions about the tactics and that sort of thing. And I did think that as much as I like Tierney, and I do like Tierney, what happens is, and he's a world-class left-back, there's no two ways about it. What happens is we seem to just rely on that thing where we chuck him up to the edge of the pitch you know, right up to the uh, offside line, and, and, and he's our sort of only outlet of goal. And no, we only we got that goal through his 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 line, and his cross, which was a great cross, great finish by Odegaard. 
who Odegaard, who I thought was fantastic on the day, it kind of, it kind of, how shall I say this? It kind of defaults us to that position. It's kind of like a go-to and stops us doing anything else. Um, so I think we need to use and weaponize Tierney a little bit better. Um, but that's what made it feel like 2020 again. We had no idea. It was slow in midfield. Jack has come back inexplicably playing 90 minutes. Look, not necessarily against the idea of a Granite Xhaka-like player, um, but no player coming back from injury after that long out should be playing 90 minutes. And I'll get on to why I think that ended up happening. Um, but one of the main reasons, you know, looking at the starting lineup as well, we mentioned Tierney, I mentioned um, Xhaka, but... What, what what that's meaning is as well, there's this meritocracy that Arteta seems to dip in and dip out of. I, I really like it when he dips into it. It just seems to be one thing for one and one thing for another. And Sambi, after coming out and Arteta saying that, you know, he's he's had a disappointing one against Liverpool, but sticking by him, same with Nuno Tavares, he then goes and pulls out an absolute man-of-the-match performance against Newcastle, can't get in the team since. Um, and I thought it was great against Liverpool, apart from the three minutes that really sort of shook him. And he's a young player, that'll happen from time to time, but show a bit of confidence. He's given a man of the patch performance since. He created the most chances the last time he played, and he's a very progressive ball player. And when Party's not quite coming up trumps, it's really something we should be looking at. So then we look at the, on that point, the meritocracy, we look at someone like Pepe. And even Aubameyang, where we look towards the Eddie and Ketia substitution, which we'll get on to. And the meritocracy really seems to be down to some people. But there always seems to be some kind of feud with Arteta. He's got someone on the pitch, or on the bench, I should say, that he freezes out. I don't know if you noticed that as well, but since he started, there just always seems to be somebody for good or for bad on like just completely outside the team who's not welcome back and it's almost making a point of it when it was the class and actually Ozil and Mustafi it made sense it was clearly a clique it was clearly upsetting the dressing room and it's been a lot better place since I think and then there's the Pepe's of the world who can hit form but really only plays what like six seven minutes in the last however many games and not really been given a chance and in a game like this throw the dice you've got a Nicola Pepe on the bench and we'll get onto the substitutes properly in a moment but one thing I just wanted to write down is just somewhere in my notes <laughs> is that there just always seems to be some kind of feud with Arteta and I do get the non-negotiables and I do get what that means and I do get that this is something that, you know, if implemented properly is, is a really good way of working. It just does sometimes seem to be one thing for one person and one thing for another. So very, very upsetting and very confusing. Um, there are a couple of questions about that, so I will perhaps just leave that to that point as well. But so let me get on to who's on the pitch at that time. So he chose Xhaka, and I'm just trying to get into Arteta's head, head for one minute. Now, logic would say, bring Xhaka back, either play him for about 50 minutes, or play him for 40. Yeah, oh, sorry, or play him for like the last 20 minutes, or something like that. So bring him on, or only start him with the view to bring him off early. And perhaps he meant that. Um, but the leaders are incredibly vacant. Um, and this is where it's difficult. So Party, Aubameyang and Lacazette are our senior players through the spine. We don't have many senior players and all of them have their own story of not performing. So perhaps Arteta has gone well. I can't start Aubameyang because quite frankly he's been firing blanks and 
he needs to have a good time off the bench. I think he was absolutely right to drop him. And I think Lacazette was the only other option, really, we could do it because of the seniority. So we did have to play him through the middle. I'd love to have seen someone like Martinelli, perhaps. But quite frankly, you just can't have that many kids on the pitch at once when it's not really Martinelli's position. And I'm not sure, stylistically, people were around him, would it would have worked better. I don't know. Very difficult to tell. But um, So with... Lacazette coming in, I think he had a bit of a dodgy game. But point is, they, they, there's a seniority that aren't performing, and these are the people we need at games away like this to be able to do that. Um, so, I, th- I assume that's why he's brought Jacker in to try and get a bit of leadership in somebody who's got a fresh, clean slate, who's not played in a while, who can just get in and control things. But what that does is, when you start, where have I got this written down? So, when you start um, Jacker and you start Tierney. And you start Lacazette. Those are three people, two of which come back from injury. And Lacazette, who's never been able to last 90 minutes. You have... Those are your three substitutions done. That doesn't account for any tactical changes that may need a different... Um, a, a Like a different substitution or perhaps even an injury as well. It's completely inflexible. Those are your three substitutions without even thinking about it. So when someone like Martinelli gets injured, you have to bring somebody else on. And that's substitution gone or two. So perhaps the idea was to bring Xhaka off but there was an inflexibility there that was really concerning but maybe that was from Arteta's concern that we didn't have any leadership on the pitch and someone like Party isn't performing so we're relying on kids to make everything happen um, yeah so it really makes it tough on a slightly more positive note I just want to I think highlight and this is something I've got written down the Erdegaard I thought was great I think he needed a game like that um, the balls he was putting through his vibrancy off the ball, um, obviously his goal. Oh, if he just slotted it with his right foot instead of being so left-footed and having to cut back and get it blocked when I think it was 1-1 at the time, could well have made it 2-1. Very difficult. I actually thought Eddie Nketiah was class as well when he came on, but I don't think uh, he should stay or anything like that. That's just a performance. It doesn't mean anything that he had a good performance. I don't think we've seen enough of Eddie for me to, to, to be able to decide that I think it's a good idea to let him go. But... Um, so that's that. So just a couple more points, really. Um, where are we? Um, before we go into questions, because that's probably what would be best to get down to. Um, so here we are. Um, we have a lot of games coming up that are winnable, and that's consistent throughout the season. I mentioned it on the last podcast. I mentioned it um, a couple of times, but I've looked through the fixture list, and we've, been, we've got a very, very generous fixture list. So what I mean by that is... We've got a good, like a, maybe let's say a really difficult game followed by some really generous games. So if we do slip up against the big team, which we consider be doing every week or every time we play them, we've got an opportunity to, to, to reconcile and bring something back. And it's not really happening at the moment. We don't have Europe either. So at the moment we have no excuses and that's what's really difficult. And with Arteta, it seems even against the smaller teams, even in every single game that we play, there's one tactic. And that tactic is basically to build out from the back from relatively slow build-up. We'll get past the man, beat the press, somebody flicks it or sets it from the top. Um, We ping it in behind and we somehow try and score what has to be a perfect goal every time. You know, and it's built up from the back from so, so long, you know, and we don't really seem to press anymore. You know, we we, we seem to invite teams onto us, um, which in theory, means that we can steal it quite young, we let our escape artists in Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe ping it out, we've got speedy people and get up the side, bang, 
cut it inside, goal. Happens every time if we score. But what that means is we don't really have another way. And we don't really press from the top, which means we can't really win it in their final third or their second or their half of the pitch, which Liverpool do every single game. And I know it's a very difficult skill to do, but it feels like a little bit of high energy wouldn't go amiss when we don't have Europe in midweek. So that's my worry. And what that means is we have a situation where we're relying on someone like Aubameyang or, or, or Lacazette or even a Martinelli to, to do the business up top. And when they're not, and when they don't really fit the system anyway, we don't have another option. And with Arteta, it's always an excuse here, an excuse there. And I'm sure we can get behind him in some kind of project. And I'm not exactly completely adverse to it because I think he has good traits. He has good bad traits. And if there's a long-term project going on, there's a long-term project going on. But I cannot be asked to wait what, seven months for another striker just because Arteta's spent, what, maybe 200 million so far and he hasn't got his perfect striker, so we can't quite do it. He can't get the best out of the players he's got. And I, we can't sit here and say, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll just have another naff season and we'll just wait for a striker. Something needs to change. Abamian needs to get a smile on his face or stylistically we need to change things a little bit. I don't know what that looks like, but something needs to happen where we can start scoring slightly different kinds of goals. And if that means changing to a little bit of a higher press, then fine i don't know if that's the solution i've got no idea quite frankly but something needs to change and the one thing about sitting deep that we've all spoken about a number of times is that it invites teams like manchester united or everton who are a little bit underconfident to t get a few touches of the ball spray it around a little bit horse shoot it around a little bit pass it inside back to the defense great but they're getting up the pitch because that's where we allow them to be they feel comfortable they've got good strikers i think everton have a brilliant set of players that they are unfortunately not mis misusing a little bit at the moment because of the lack of form but guess what? Give someone a team like a form who need a bit of an edge at their home ground. That's not how you do it. You don't put them under pressure. So maybe anyway. So those are my two pennies worth. Any other things to say? Well, look, we're, so we're seventh, right? We're four points off fourth. Um, and we're significantly better position than we were from last season. Last season, I think we were like 11th and like a nine points off. Don't quote me on that. I remember reading it somewhere. But we're actually better off than last season. So... Why does this feel so bad from all the reasons that I mentioned that stylistically it just feels like that time of year. So it's just another situation we're going to have to ask Arteta to pull it round. It's a difficult scenario to be in, but I do feel better about it than last season purely because I do think we have some exciting young players, a couple of wins and we'll be on a bounce again. But the scary thing for me is it does feel very mid-table-y. This is kind of what a mid-table team does. They have good runs, they have bad runs. Um, and I think I'll leave it there in terms of my ramblings because you've probably had enough and uh, there's quite a few very good questions so let's see if it's that so my man of the match with a guard by some distance thought it was great I thought Saka had some really good flashes when he's cross into Eddie Nketiah um, one thing on Eddie Nketiah I should say so he's out of contract and he's just declined a contract for next season which means he's definitely going um, and he was brought on and actually he was really good he used to beat a couple of players set up a chance missed an absolute sitter unfortunately but he was getting into good positions and really made things happen Great. Um, but it was baffling as a substitution. When you've got Pepe and Abami on the bench, what does it say for them? What on earth is it saying by, right, these are two guys in contract. One guy, two of their biggest signings ever, financially at least. Um, one who we really need to find a bit of form and who can hit the back of the net from time to time. Abami missed the sitter, was gutted. Um, you know, and then we bring on the kid who's just declined a contract, doesn't want to play for the club, and Arteta's looking back and he's pointing to the way he trains. All right, if he trains so well, why hasn't he played for the rest of the season? 
You know, he's played, what, six minutes? Something crazy like that in the Premier League. I'm sure maybe it was a few more than that. I think 60 minutes I had somewhere, but it just seemed absolutely baffling to me. So, I, there are decisions I don't understand. If I try to rationalise it, perhaps they're trying to get a bit more money out of the money they get from the tribunal when they give a player away for free, having brought them up for academy. But that doesn't really play out for me financially, particularly when you're trying to get a goal. It doesn't make any sense. So... I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. But there are some baffling decisions that are a little bit worrying about Arteta. So, man of the match, Odegaard. Dick of the day, uh, I'm going to give to Steve uh, from In The Clock End, obviously, for leaving me solo tonight. Cheers, Steve. All right, questions. I have to uh, say thank you to everyone that did submit it, but I've highlighted some really good ones. Um, so, let's start with Oliver, Oliver Wilson. Oliver, how's it going? Uh, actually, no, we'll do that last because that's quite a funny one. And it's a little more upbeat. Um, so, Sarah Javesga, Jas Vega, I should say. So, what should we do to improve massively? Uh, look, I'm no, um, no tactician in a lot of ways. Um, but there are two or three things that point out to me as things that I think we should be doing um, without being a mastermind. Um, I think some of the obvious things are playing the players that give us the best chance to get the ball up the pitch. And I do think that includes Sambi. Um, I think the way he's been left out is, is really kind of told. And I think he's a really important piece of our puzzle. Um, although he will make mistakes, he's very young. He's really important to getting us forward, whether that's with party or without party. Um, something needs to happen there. Secondly, I think... Pressing from the front, like, just getting a little bit in the faces of people when you're away from home. Don't let the crowd get settled. Don't let them um, get upbeat. It's what happened against Everton, Everton, and then suddenly, you know, when you've got a young team, which we do, you know, like, once they're getting up the pitch and they're getting a bit of confidence and the crowd's on their side, suddenly you've got a difficult away game. So those are two very simple things we need to do. The other thing I think we need to do... Um, is somehow getting these seniority, senior players fit and playing well. And I, I, I don't have an answer as to how to do that. Arteta's man management's got to really come into it. But also letting them play off the bench and finding some form. Like, Partey is an absolutely, in my opinion, world-class player. Um, some of the performances we've seen from him have been sensational. What's frustrating is that we haven't seen it consistently enough at all. Uh, and some of the poor performances, particularly in the last three games, have been um, uh, the worst on the pitch, quite frankly, like awful. And um, I don't quite buy into the fact that, um, although perhaps maybe against Everton, I don't quite buy into the fact that we just sat off. I think if you look at Old Trafford in particular, we really tried to get forward. But Partey was breaking it down every time you know, giving a pass away and it was us putting us in the back foot and I think that gave away momentum and all sorts of things like that. So I did think, we, you know, we tried. The party really let us down. So somehow getting these senior players to be senior players and to start performing and when they're not performing and you've got these kids looking at them when you're, it's 1-1 one, one, and your back's against the wall and there's a big crowd at Everton or a big crowd at Old Trafford. Like, you need your senior players just to pull everyone in, keep it tight for five, or just give them a little bit of confidence. Say, oh, I've been, don't worry, we've been here, done it before. One Thomas party, I've been in Champions League finals. Just, just sit next to me, we'll be fine. Aubameyang, I've scored hundreds of goals. Just keep it simple, get it to me, let's pop it about, let's just take this thing out of the game. These are the people who need to do that, and they don't do it. So I do 
um, understand why Jack has been brought in, maybe about desperation, uh, although don't disagree tactically. Maybe that's something that's been happening. So those are things I think we can improve on. So thanks for your question. Um, keen, quite keen to hear what everyone else thinks as well, because I'm sure there's lots and lots of things. So that leads on to the next question, uh, who is from my good friend, Rory Deedy. Big, big Rory. So uh, me and Rory went to, to, to a game recently, went to the Palace game. We celebrated a lovely last-minute goal from Lacazette. Um, we were right behind the bench, actually. But it was really interesting, actually, because I think looking back to that game, it's it, it was kind of... That game was like we looked forward from that, because at the time, I was hugely disappointed, you know, throwing things in the air, like, what's going on? Um, and we were able to look back on that after a good run and say, well, that really kicked us on. The atmosphere, the stadium and all that sort of stuff from the last minute goal was worth it because that's kicked our team on. But now we look back and it's like, well, Brighton, Crystal Palace, um, Everton, Man United, or whatever, just these things, it's, it's making us look bad. And, it, you know, it frames like those games like that really badly and when it makes us wonder, you know, what are we doing? But So the question is, is our team better without Xhaka? Um... Well, we did well without him. You know, we went from a went from a bloody good run, didn't we? Um, I think the the answer to that question would be: I don't think we're quite ready for a midfield without a Granite Xhaka-like player. I think it makes Party better, although that wasn't evident last night. Like one game where Xhaka comes back, having been injured the whole time, um, away at Everton isn't going to decide whether or not we are better with him or without him. But I think we need to evolve. Um, we need to move away from it. I think we look better with Sambi there than we do Xhaka. Um, I think there are times where Xhaka would probably be useful, but I just want a better version of Granite Xhaka to be able to do it rather than him because you know it's going to cost you points. You know he's going to make a mistake. He's going to get a red card. His yellow card against Everton was stupid, and then he couldn't make a yellow card in the... Um, you know, he couldn't make that foul that led to the last goal from Gray against Everton because he was on a yellow card because he did Granite Xhaka things. So um, I think the good answer to that would be... He's such an enigma. You go on this roller coaster, don't you, with Granite Xhaka? I mean, don't forget that half of Twitter was calling for Granite Xhaka to return when we lost against Manchester United and we lost against Liverpool. It was oh, if we had Xhaka, then it would be more control. And I, there have been games that have proved that correct, um, for sure. You know, it does make things tick. And if there are enough creative elements in front of him, um, and he can allow uh, Thomas Party to be better than theoretically. There are there is scenarios where he would make our team better, but he's not consistent enough. He doesn't do enough on the ball. And when you've got someone like Sambi on the bench, I don't see why he couldn't do that job. And people often say it's very easy to tarnish an Arsenal team like have Roy Keane and Gary Neville have done over the years. Like, oh, they've got no leaders. And it's like, well, that's not really a simple enough answer. Um, you know, because for all Granite Xhaka is worth, as a footballer, like he's he's, an, he's a bloody good leader. He's looked up in the dressing room, you know. He's a bit of a smack the chest kind of guy. He doesn't really care when he makes a mistake. And I know that's it's important because he his ego sort of carries him through. There are a lot of leaders that have that character. He just isn't a good enough footballer to to carry it off. Like, so, but what he does bring is a level of leadership. So I'm going to very much sit up the fence. Say, long term, we're going to be a much better team with a Granite Shaka style player. But at the moment. We're a mid-table team and need us in leadership, and I I don't think we're ready to evolve away from a Granite Xhaka midfield, which is a depressing thing to say. But as an individual player, I don't particularly rate him, um, you know. And I don't you know one game coming back from injury, having to play ninety minutes, I think is barbaric. The, and the one more thing I think to say on that is that 
I really lays his mark down to what Arteta thinks about him. You know, I think he really relies on him, as is every manager that's ever played with Xhaka. He starts and plays every single game, and he's right in the centre there, dictating what's going on, for better or worse. Um, so it's very sad times. I'm not quite sure um, what to think about that one, but there we are. That is Granite Xhaka, the enigma that he is. So, so Ben Keeley has asked, is there a process or have we just managed to scrape a few results? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's loads of articles at the moment looking around and, and they're all like, what is Arsenal? Like, what, 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 what are they trying to do with it? Are Arsenal a good team or Arsenal a bad team? Um, um, and, I, and I think there is a process. It's a very, very long-term process. Um, and by the way, don't forget, Mikolak Eteteto was actually quote, misquoted on the trust the process quote that wasn't actually something he said he actually just said something like we should respect the process it was actually referring to the game that they just played or tactics they were using so which i think quite funny but anyway the point being do we have a process i think we do and it's long term and that's great but it feels like a technical director process which is what every club should have which is why man united have got have struggled very recently they're very you know short-term gold um signings as we've had through the late Wenger uh, you know mid Emery era and I do think we need that process if you want to call it that so I'm all on the board with buying young players and that strategy for the for the transfer window which I think has, has been really intelligent I think we've outsmarted it I'm really happy with our young players um, and we are still feeling the effects of ageing big contract players um, but what that leaves is and, and kind of uniquely to Arsenal is the manager who is a very long-term manager clearly he's a project guy that's why they've got him he's too young to be poached from anywhere else because he's not performed highly enough so he's not going to go anywhere he's not an elite manager who's come in and just you know grass is greener somewhere else is going to leave us i think that's as a long-term project manager and what he's not clearly able to do is get the best out of what he's got and win some win some games so tactically i think he's he can be good but he can also be absolutely naff we're a mid-table team at the moment and um I think there were times where his tactics really, really out like Sean and were great. And some of the ways in which we played were magnificent. I mean, there was times against Aston Villa, we were unplayable. Spurs, great game. Leicester in the first half, again, great. So there are building blocks to a future. But, you know, as football fans, we're not really looking much past, for, like, much past this season or even just the game in front of us. So it's very difficult to ride that wave and enjoy it when things are going badly or really like think, oh, well, you know, in five years we'll be good. Um, that's a technical director's job to keep us guided. You know, Ragnarok coming in for Manchester United is a hell of a signing for that reason. And he will come in, be a manager for a bit and then be a technical director and allow that process to happen. Whereas, you know, we're sitting here with Arteta. I can't decide whether he's... Good, bad, anything in between, we don't know yet. He's a young manager, so it's it's really hard to tell. So, you know, we're being asked to be patient in a sport that isn't... that's very, very short-term demanding. So, um, if uh, one thing I would say is that, let's say Arteta was to be sacked tomorrow, which I don't think he will, obviously. Um, I think it would take a lot for him to be sacked this season at all. I think he would have done a hell of a job in getting a squad and a club into a position to be prepped to have a world-class manager. We've got a hell of a group of young players that perhaps need a bit more direction, a little bit more experience, and a little bit more, I can do anything. 
you know, like one of the things that young teams are really known for is being a bit crazy up front, you know, daring to do too much, taking the extra touch, taking the extra shot, winning games like 5-4 or something like that. And it's kind of the opposite. Arteta's got a system, and that is his system. People play in zones, people, you know, we, we, we set early, we go, um, you know, we, we pass it around the back, we break the press, somebody from the front sets, it goes out wide, and we cut back and we try and score. Happens every time. So people are kind of constrained, and it feels like, actually, our young players aren't really allowed to express themselves. Um, so it's it's a very, very, very tough one to negate. Um and I don't really know where to place it. So perhaps Arteta will leave us in a good position for a really elite manager to come in, whenever that may be. And I do believe that, because quite frankly, we were unattractive beforehand. We had a terrible culture, which I do think Arteta's changed. I think we had um, a mismatched team that had no sense of co- cohesion. Um, you know, pl- players that were either far too young or far too old on ridiculous wages. I think we balanced the books there. So we've done some really good things with Arteta and whatever he does, we will be able to say thanks and now we've got stability to for somebody else to, to really actually have a good job for. So so who knows? So let's move on. Jack Fisher, would you rate signing Calvert Lewin? I mean, I think he's class. Um again, he would be the perfect striker, I think, for Arteta. What I would say is that there's a couple of warnings around there and that he is very young. Um, which is fine. That's what we go for in the profile. But I do think our striker needs to be 25, 26, lead the line in a way that he's done before and be everything we need him to be. The other thing is he's had a massive injury and I think he will go on to have an unbelievable career because I think he's great. But he would be a hugely expensive signing. Hugely, hugely, hugely expensive. My worry would be he's now had a massive injury. He's had one and a half fantastic seasons. What does that injury mean? We're going to have to spend a lot of money and probably will be the summer after he'll just come back from injury. And we expect him to maintain his trajectory when really he's only had one or two seasons that have been really good. So my personal opinion is I think he'd be great. But would I spend the money on what effectively would be a gamble? Perhaps not. I'd, I'd like to go into Europe and find somebody that would suit his profile um, at a slightly lower rate. I personally think um, and there are other players around it like that so um, there's David's in the uh, in the MLS or this Canadian guy um, was it Vlavic although I think he'll go to Man City probably realistically there's a number of like big striker players who are similar enough that we could probably get cheaper um, okay so there's a few questions around the same thing so um, Malika um, Max Molly and Heat have all said things around like, has Arteta frozen Pepe out what he's done in the past? How much more time do we give Arteta? When would Arteta be sacked? Um, centering around Arteta, I've touched on it before, so I'm going to do it too much. But long story short, I do think that he he's very safe, like too safe, far, 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 far too safe. Um, and I think he kind of starts controlling the club. So I think it's going to take a serious turn in form for him to be sacked I'm talking November December 2020 levels of bad um, and when that happens he hasn't got an empty stadium to, to get him through he's got a lot of angry Arsenal fans and it's never ever ever sustainable he'll get the the trusty vote of confidence from the board of course and then that will two weeks later mean he's sacked um, I, I, I think he'll last the season I think the if he doesn't get any European football 
I think he's done. I, you know, you just don't have an excuse. We've had a hell of a fixture list in terms of um, batches that I mentioned. So a difficult game followed by lots of quite winnable games in theory. You've had no European football. You've had a £150 million in a summer, £200 million overall to deal with. If you can't get us European football at Arsenal, yeah, you, you, you're just not there anymore, particularly for me. But um, So I don't know where that would leave us. But I, I also think that I'm not sure that he would be sacked. <laughs> so it's a tough one. I, I honestly don't know from this board what, what that would mean or, or who would end up sacking him. So... Um, so Pepe, so Rice Gars, thanks for writing in. Pepe has never been given a proper chance, always put under pressure because of his price. Thoughts? Well, I think it's a good question. That's a really good question. Particularly this season, he's not really been given his chance, but he has been, I think, given quite a number of chances. He always seems to be like a second half of the season kind of player who just comes back and um, seems to do quite well towards the end. And he's always involved in goals. Always, he just doesn't fit a system. He just doesn't. He doesn't make anyone else better when he plays. He makes. He can either do something unbelievable, or kind of go missing. Because, but he goes missing either way. He just somehow does something great. You'll skin a guy and smack it at the top corner. But he doesn't really make anyone else better. He doesn't really fit. He takes too many touches, and um, everyone else you can tell doesn't really know what he's about to do because nobody else does. So they can't make the run they need to. Um, and you can tell everyone hesitates when he's on the ball. So I don't think necessarily he should be starting. But when you're away at Everton, or there's an injury to someone like Aubameyang, I want to see Pepe on the left. Um, he has been really good at the times he's played on the left, even when he started there. And I haven't really seen him play a game badly there. Um, I think he's less inclined to, to just cut inside. I think it gives him more options, because he can cut inside on his right, but he's also more bound to go to the byline gives him more options and he can pass inside much easier um so i'd give him that chance but yeah i'd have frozen him out i don't think he's a good trainer i don't think he ever has been i don't think he ever will be which obviously doesn't help so when you get someone like nketiah starting ahead of him or coming on ahead of him it's, it's it is worrying um and the price tag yeah so ryan you mentioned the price tag and i think that's something that's always weighed over him and it has done for many a player and, and where they can in the future so um, not his fault. I always feel sorry for players that, that have been given a price tag like that when it's not really their fault. But at the same time, it wasn't an Arteta signing and he's clearly got a bit of an attitude. Um, but do I think he should be coming ahead of a Ketia then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, crazy. Crazy. Um, so what? We... Ah, okay. Good question. Blake Jurich. Um, has said, what are your thoughts on Aubameyang's performance state right now? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? He's he's always... Um, I mean, look, obviously he's massively underperforming. I mean, he's seems to be out there pressing like an animal, but like we've just said, you know, all the statistics show we don't really win the ball in the final third, so for all his hard work, which is very obvious for us all to see, that's kind of it. No one's with him. Um, like, he hasn't won anything that's up front that's that's led to a goal or anything like that i mean so it's tough it's tough and he's had a really bad time and i don't like he's old he's getting he's getting older i should say and he's always been a sensitive guy and that's something apart from Xhaka that's sent it's very obvious throughout our leadership team lacazette um abamyang and, and and um party they're all very sensitive people who need smiles who need jokes you know we need abamyang and lacazette 
on their Instagram stories again, you know, like together as they always do, like being happy and having a joke and laugh because that's when they're at their best. And when they're not performing, I don't know what it takes to bring them out of that rut, but something needs to take it because, quite frankly, it's it's apocalyptic right now. And, um, yeah, like, he's just not a strong character mentally, I don't think. I don't think him, Party, or Lacazette are. Um, Something needs to change. Something really dramatically needs to change. And I do think the crowd love him. Uh, the Emirates I you know I think after he missed that penalty against Watford the whole crowd was singing his name um you know and when he was subbed at Aston Villa I remember everyone was singing his name and the same against Newcastle like when he came on and you know, when he played it's and that was when he after sorry he they were singing his name after he missed that sitter against Newcastle and it's happening more consistently but yeah I think the fans can feel that they need to give him a smile you know and you know, it's actually been nearly two seasons where, well, it's been a season and a half that, that, that this abandoning has been up and down and it's becoming more down than up. So tough, very tough. But so I think we somehow need to make him make him feel better. Maybe we'll give him a new wrap around his car or something. Maybe we'll give him like a nice little funky silvery new wrap for his Lamborghini or whatever he's got. So maybe that's the way out of it. So, uh, OK, let's do last serious question. So Lucas Stefez says... Do we develop Martinelli into a striker or spend big on a striker? Uh, I think both. I think Martinelli's too young to develop and rely on at this age, but we do need somebody who's going to be week in, week out, our number one man, and that needs to be the next big signing. We cannot afford not to, for all the reasons I mentioned before, from DCL to Blahovic and all that sort of stuff. However, I do see Martinelli down the middle, maybe even like an inside left um, forward which he kind of is, but I, I, yeah, I, I think he's electrifying. And he's one of those players that, that could well hit the heights of a top-level player that's, you know, consistently hitting the numbers of the Champions League and be one of the ones that we remember forever. But he's also got the ability to be a bit of a, I don't know, nanny from Manchester United. So always promise, but never quite be the player that he could have been. Um, one to keep an eye out of. Okay. And if a... <laughs> Oliver Wilson says, let's, have, let's make this the last one. We're going for, what, 41 minutes? Okay, yeah. If you could have a sleepover with one Arsenal player, who would it be and why? Good question. Well, you want someone who um, would like good films, uh, has great, like, taste in snacks. You want someone who would be a safe, like, um, wouldn't someone, not someone too big because they want to steal, steal the duvet. Um, obviously. So so we're looking for someone quite small uh, who would be a great laugh, who would probably like a good film. Um, I wouldn't... I'm thinking of Ben White. Ben White, ben White, I think he'd probably just end up talking about girls he's seen on Instagram the whole time and it'd be really boring, so I just want to watch the film, do you know what I mean? Have a bit of a slumber party. So um, I think it... I think Emil Smith-Rowe would probably be a bit too quiet. I think Saka's up for a laugh. I'm going to go with Saka. I reckon he's just a... a a good old laugh, and he wouldn't. He, do you know what? He, would, he wouldn't even steal the duvet. He'd give it back to you. He'd he'd give you another duvet. He'd wrap you up warm and go. Here you go, mate. Have a good sleep, and he'll wake you up with coffee in the morning. And go, hello, mate. Um, which I love, which I love. So, uh, oh, anyway, that was a weird podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, let's leave it there. You have been wonderful. Uh, I assume. Thanks so much for writing in. Um, next week we'll be back after we played ever played Southampton. It's at home, so. Uh, hopefully with a full crowd. I think it looks like we need COVID passports and if Bojo doesn't announce anything too bad over the next couple of weeks, hopefully we can keep the crowds going and go on a better run. But me and Steve or me and Matt or anyone else will be back um, as more of a twosome so you have more people to listen to.
thanks so much for listening to everybody see you next week